Section 33 of the History of Prostitution. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bev Stevens. The History of Prostitution by William Sanger. Section 33, Chapter 25. Great Britain, Prostitution at the Present Time, Part 2. Poverty is an integral part of nearly all the conditions of life which we have to consider as incentives to prostitution. In some instances, more, perhaps, than may be generally credited, poverty is a direct and proximate cause of this vice. In other words, women previously and otherwise virtuous do prostitute their bodies for bread. In most of the cases enumerated, except that purely natural, but rare one, innate sexual desire, poverty is a remote cause. From the number of the human race who are under its griping, chilling pressure, poverty may be set down as a fruitful source of prostitution. The connection of political circumstances with the phases of public morals is more intimate than the consideration of the superficial differences of the two matters would at first sight imply. But an attentive comparison of the state of public prosperity with the state of public crime will show that crime is somewhat dependent on food. The man with a well-filled stomach is no foe to order. Prostitution, as a means of supplying the cravings of hunger, is part of the same connection. It is true that in England there are poor laws and workhouses, from and in which every destitute person, without reference to character, has a right to food and shelter. In the first place, however, the workhouses are objects of unmitigated aversion to the poorer classes. Various rules, in themselves hard, but rendered necessary by consideration for the ratepayers as well as for the beneficiaries, such as separation of husband and wife while receiving relief, separation of child and parent, etc., make the workhouse system odious to the worthy and honest poor, while the strict rules and the restraint and discipline enforced within the walls make it still more odious to those who place their happiness in license and irregularity. Added to this, in populous and poor districts, the claims upon the workhouse in seasons of distress are too numerous for its capabilities. It is an awful truth that, notwithstanding the enormous revenues, nearly fifty millions of dollars per annum, collected for poor relief, and the immense establishments instituted throughout the country for the support and shelter of the distressed, sometimes the number of applicants is so great that their demands cannot be met. Possibly, if these unfortunates could be distributed throughout the kingdom, so that the poverty of one spot could be balanced by the comparative prosperity of another, the fearful starvation in the midst of plenty, which is occasionally witnessed, need not occur. But in the meanwhile, and until the time when all the schemes and devices of modern improvement and advancement shall be finally perfected, and universal happiness attained, there is a mass of inconceivable wretchedness to be dealt with. In Household Words, for November, 1855, Mr. Dickens gives a harrowing picture of London distress, 
of which he was himself an eye-witness. It was a dark, rainy evening, and close against the wall of Whitechapel Workhouse lay five bundles of rags. Mr. Dickens and his friend looked at them, and attempted to rouse them in vain. They knocked at the door, were admitted, saw the master of the workhouse, and asked him if he knew there were five human beings, females, lying on the ground outside, cold and hungry. He did. At first he was annoyed. Such applications were frequent. How could he meet them? The house was full. The casual ward was full. What could he do more? When he found that Mr. Dickens's aim was inquiry, not fault-finding, he was softened. The case was certainly shocking. How was it to be met? Mr. Dickens said he had heard outside that these wretched beings had been there two nights already. It was very possible. He could not deny or affirm it. There were often more in the same plight, sometimes twenty or thirty. He, the master, was obliged to give preference to women with children. The place was full. Unable to do more, Mr. Dickens left. On getting outside, he roused one of these poor wretches. She looked up, but said nothing. He asked her if she was hungry. She merely looked an affirmative. Would she know where to get something to eat? She again assented in the same way. Then take this and for God's sake go and get something. She took it, made no sign of thanks, gathered herself up and slunk away, wilted into darkness, silent and heedless of all things. To what will not such misery as this compel suffering human nature? In times of commercial depression, the police of London note an increase of street prostitution. It is said in the cities of England that the permanent prostitution of each place has a numerical relation to the means of occupation. In Edinburgh, there are but few chances of employing female labour. Glasgow, Dundee, and Paisley are the seats of manufactures, and employ female labour extensively. According to Tate, the prostitution of Edinburgh far exceeds its proportion of prostitution to population as compared with the manufacturing towns. It seems unnecessary to multiply instances of poverty and indigence inasmuch as the fact is most miserably indisputable. Shirt-making at three cents, pantaloon-making at five or six cents, unceasing labour of fourteen hours a day bringing in only sixty or eighty cents a week, and competition even to obtain this. As the London Times once said, the needle is the normal employment of every English woman. What, then, must be the condition of those tens of thousands who have nothing but that to depend upon? Of late years, too, a still farther competition has been introduced in that ingenious invention of our country, the sewing machine. In order to show the relation between unpaid and excessive labour and prostitution, we will instance a few cases. One young woman said she made moleskin pantaloons, a very strong, stiff fabric, at the rate of fifteen cents per pair. She could manage twelve pairs per week when there was full employment. Sometimes she could not get work. 
she worked from six in the morning until ten at night with full work she could make two dollars a week out of which she had to expend thirty-eight cents for thread and candle on an average in consequence of short work she could not make more than seventy-five cents a week her father was dead and she had to support her mother who was sixty years of age this girl endured her mode of existence for three years till at length she agreed to live with a young man when she made this statement she was within three months of her confinement she felt the disgrace of her condition to relieve her from which she said she prayed for death and would not have gone wrong if she could have helped it such a case as this scarcely comes within the term prostitution but she stated that many girls at the shop advised prostitution as a resource and that others should do as they did as by that means they had procured plenty to eat and clothes to wear she gave it as her opinion that none of the thousands of girls who work at the same business earn a livelihood by their needle but that all must and do prostitute themselves to eke out a subsistence another woman a case more directly in point also said she could not earn more than seventy-five cents she was a widow and had three children when her husband died herself and her children had to live on these seventy-five cents she might have gone into the workhouse and been there better supported than by her labor had she done so the laws of the workhouse are inexorable she would have been separated from her children although one child died she was now so reduced that she could not procure food she took to the streets for a living and she declared that hundreds of married and single women were doing the same thing for the same reasons a widow who had buried all her children could not support herself from sheer inability to do so she took to prostitution a remarkably fine-looking young woman whose character for sobriety honesty and industry was vouched by a number of witnesses as unimpeachable had been compelled to work at fine shirts by which she could not earn more on an average than thirty-five cents a week she had a child and being unwilling to go to the workhouse she was driven by indigence to the streets struck with remorse and shame and for the sake of her child determined to abandon prostitution she fasted whole days sleeping in winter-time in sheds once her child's legs froze to her side and necessity again compelled her to take to her former course her father had been an independent preacher these circumstances and innumerable others will establish incontestably the intimate relation which poverty bears to prostitution a consideration of such circumstances as the foregoing and the everyday observation of hosts of others of a similar character which will come within the cognizance of any one who searches into human motives must incline all but the most outrageously virtuous to judge more tenderly of the failings and errors of their fellow-creatures all young females engaged in sewing are liable to the same distress and the same resource against it is of course open to all 
the hard labor and long hours are the least part of the evil although in that light even there would be ground for commiseration the real grievance is that the most patient and industrious cannot by any hours of labor earn a sufficiency to support themselves it is true that the workhouse is the legal refuge of the poor but the tender mercies of the workhouse have passed into a proverb the policy of the poor laws as administered is to deter the needy from applying for relief except in very extreme cases hence many rules are made and much formality is interposed which render the legal provisions so irksome and unbearable that many fly to the nearest means of satisfying their wants rather than demand their legal rights domestic servants are in respect of their removal from absolute want while in service more happily situated than those who are thus dependent upon the needle but they are open to influences of another kind we mean seduction by masters and male members of the household where this evil begins is an exceedingly difficult question to determine when corrupted they become themselves by the very opportunities they possess ready and dangerous instruments of corruption and contribute to disseminate the poisons of immorality and of bodily disease we have already incidentally mentioned that this class is at times open to a great deal of poverty and distress namely when out of service and at such times they are peculiarly the mark for the lures of persons who make seduction their business and profitable occupation the domestic servants and the sewing women are the principal adult laborers of great britain except the factory girls in eighteen fifty one there were female domestic servants nine hundred and five thousand one hundred and sixty five dressmakers two hundred and seventy thousand seamstresses seventy two thousand nine hundred and forty staymakers twelve thousand nine hundred and sixty nine and of these one third were under twenty years of age places of public amusement in england are few when compared with those of the continent and their influence must be proportionately less on the continent dancing saloons are a prominent feature in england this character of entertainment is almost unknown in london there are a few places of this sort such for example as cremorne gardens mr tate lays some stress on the evil effects of dancing-houses in edinburgh we should be inclined to think the cases of misconduct traceable to these places actually few in number though not unworthy of notice the single females who frequent dancing-rooms theatres and other similar places in england without friends or family escort have very little virtue to risk the country fairs are far more injurious they are indiscriminately attended by all ages and sexes and their effects upon the female agricultural population are often very pernicious greenwich fair a three days scene of rollicking and junketing was held at easter and whitsuntide in the outskirts of london but is now abolished 
It had its uses a century or two ago, but recently had been attended by all the idlers of London, of both sexes, and was justly dreaded by the friends of youth. It is proverbial that more young women were debauched at Greenwich Fair, allowing for its duration, than at any other place in England. Ill-assorted marriages are decidedly a cause of prostitution. Certainly breach of the marriage vow is one thing, prostitution for hire another. In estimating the number of prostitutes in Edinburgh at 800, Mr. Tate adds 200 to them under the head of married women, which he considers a crew from ill-assorted marriages. That the marriage was ill-assorted is plainly shown by its result, and that want of congeniality and temperament is the cause of prostitution, to the extent thus named, we have no ground to question. He speaks of such women selling their favours generally to one lover only, occasionally to any one who will pay. Although the latter forms what is commonly known as prostitution, no other construction can be put upon the former. Love of dress is another incident which many writers, and Mr. Tate among them, have introduced into the direct causes of prostitution. We should consider it doubtful if any woman ever positively sold her virtue for a new gown or a knot of ribbons. Of course, after the Rubicon is crossed, all subsequent steps are easy, and may be taken from any motive. The love of admiration, which, under regulation, is sometimes a commendable instinct, when uncontrolled, becomes a snare. The love of dress is a modification of this sentiment, and may help to work out the effect when other causes have overthrown the balance of the mind. Juvenile Prostitution We have now arrived, in the consideration of the causes of prostitution in England, at decidedly the most painful of all the phenomena connected with this condition of human life, namely, the immense extent of juvenile depravity. We have already sketched the evils of insufficient house accommodation and its noxious effects upon the morals of the rising generation. In this connection also, bad example is particularly prominent. Perhaps, indeed, with respect to the young, evil communications are the greatest dangers. The workhouse was formerly one great hotbed of vice, and the greatest license and irregularity prevailed in every department. That children born or brought up in such a place should grow up debased was perfectly in the expected course of things. Now, however, under the new Poor Laws Commission, the scene is stripped of its more revolting accessories. The sexes do not mingle, children do not associate with adults, some modicum of education is given. The sweetest and holiest of all ties, that of family, is yet wanting, and self-respect is totally deficient. In the absence of these protective influences, the wonder is, not that so many children should turn out ill, but that so many girls should turn out well. Formerly, also, there was a system of compulsory pauper apprenticeship, and the interests of the parish apprentice out of doors were very little looked after. 
this again has been altered both in town and country and the improvement is marked even with all this it is recorded in the london times june 1848 that a correspondent visiting one of the metropolitan workhouses was struck by the happy and healthy appearance of the female children and inquired of the master of the workhouse what became of all of them he was informed that they were sent out at the age of fourteen as servants or in other capacities and that nine-tenths of them after coming backward and forward from their places to the workhouse eventually got corrupted and took to the streets factories are made accountable by many writers for much juvenile immorality and prostitution factories in england are as most of our readers are aware institutions materially differing in some respects from those of our own country in no feature is there so wide a dissimilarity as in the character of the workpeople the factory children of england are the offspring of the poorest of the community whose only heritage is pauperism with wages at no time too good and often at starvation point the miserable earnings of the factory operatives are still farther reduced by constant strikes and contests with their employers in which it is a foregone conclusion that the workmen must yield macaulay tells us that two centuries ago the employment of children in factories and the dependence of the parents bred upon the children's earnings was a notorious fact much condemned by philanthropists the introduction of machinery and the value of child labor gradually aggravated all the horrors of the factory system the enormity of which called down the indignation of the non-manufacturing community and compelled the protective interference of parliament the ten hours bill the factory children's education regulations appointment by government of factory commissioners and inspectors have all contributed to ameliorate the hard lot of the factory child the employment of very young children in factories is still to be regretted or rather its necessity for probably it is better they should be employed in a not very laborious occupation than left to roam the streets the direct influence of factory work on juvenile prostitution is insisted on by many writers by others some reservations have been introduced such as the young associate only during hours of recreation in business hours they are generally employed in different parts of the building they have a certain amount of education their parents are generally or very often employed in the same establishment assume that these children were not in the factory where would they be and what could they do are evil influences rife only in the factory the overcrowding at home the frequent drunkenness and debauchery of their parents and associates the endless indigence the frequent visits to the workhouses are all circumstances which have been considered and argued in the case but of the fact of juvenile prostitution and depravity in factory populations none can doubt of its being exclusively or chiefly attributable to factory life others are not certain 
that children who labor in factories and thereby contribute to the family earnings and their own support could do better in the present condition of english society is doubtful mill owners are required to devote a portion of their time to education sunday schools are established personal attention is paid by leading mill owners to the improvement of the poor many build good cottages for which by the way they receive a good interest in the way of rent many inspect the schools some build schoolhouses and pay the teachers the good example of benevolent mill owners in a measure compels others whose moral perceptions are less keen to follow them we would not be supposed to argue that english cotton factories are types of the millennium any more than are similar institutions on this side of the atlantic in fact we have a very decided opinion on the matter but common honesty requires that the opinion of all who have investigated the subject should be fairly recorded in submitting the various arguments adduced in favor of factory labor and its bearing on immorality we present merely subjects for consideration disease in children a fact of importance to public health is the disease acquired by children in the first address issued by the london society for the protection of young females it is stated that in three of the london hospitals during the preceding eight years there had been no less than two thousand seven hundred cases of venereal disease in children between eleven and sixteen years of age dr ryan on the same subject speaking from his professional experience as medical officer of several charities mentions the shock he felt on seeing numerous cases of venereal disease in children mr miller of glasgow testifies to the same fact the very imperfect data which exist on this important branch of our subject will not enable one to form any sound opinion on the spread of disease from these juvenile sources it is however reasonable to conclude from the few facts and from the very facilities afforded at their age for intercommunication between children that the spread of disease from direct contamination and the deterioration of health and constitution from unknown excesses must be very great obscene publications of these there are vast numbers and the extent of juvenile contamination from this source must be very great the society for the suppression of vice in london reports having seized at different periods thousands of obscene books copper plates and prints all of which they caused to be destroyed within a period of three years they procured the destruction of blasphemous and impure books two hundred and seventy nine obscene publications one thousand one hundred and sixty two obscene songs on sheets one thousand four hundred and ninety five obscene prints ten thousand four hundred and ninety three and even this was but an item in the calculation the police of london take but little interest in this matter the above-mentioned society is the principal agent in the repression of this infamous species of depravity 
there are certain places in london in which the trade still lives and flourishes notwithstanding the attacks made upon it holywell street in the strand and the vicinity of leicester square are places of disgraceful notoriety in this respect the secret is that wherever there is a public demand no repressive laws will ever prevent trade the attempt at repression but makes it more profitable to the corruption of the youthful mind and the preparatives for prostitution these publications must contribute it is a matter of question what number of prostitutes have become such directly from this cause the results of visitorial inspection do not show among london prostitutes any more than elsewhere a taste for books and prints of an obscene tendency their taste in literature is that which would prevail among persons of low intellectual calibre startling tales romances with a plentiful spice of horrors thrilling love-stories highly wrought and exaggerated narratives are their taste in the practice of prostitution the use of indecent or prurient prints is chiefly for the adornment of visitors rooms in brothels education in the relations between education and crime are found no distinctive marks whereby prostitution may be separated from any other development of vice or immorality it is to be presumed that the same general laws which apply to the unregulated manifestation of the passions apply to those with which prostitution is chiefly implicated in the present generation it is generally assumed that crime is the offspring of ignorance therefore education is the cry education has become a party watchword in england the necessity of education the quality and the quantity with all the minor propositions that branch off from the main question are and have been for years the subject of the hottest polemics but recent results evolved from statistical inquiries would seem to call up the previous question as to the value of education at all the present work is not the place in which to discuss the fact or to point out a remedy or indicate the deficiencies of a system which can suffer such a question to arise we give the facts from the parliamentary reports of eighteen forty six to eighteen forty eight it appears that the number of educated criminals in england was at that time more than twice and in scotland more than three and a half that of the uneducated eighteen forty six england educated sixteen thousand nine hundred and sixty three uneducated seven thousand six hundred and ninety eight scotland educated three thousand one hundred and fifty five uneducated nine hundred and three eighteen forty seven england educated nineteen thousand three hundred and seven uneducated nine thousand and fifty scotland educated three thousand five hundred and sixty two uneducated one thousand forty eight eighteen forty eight england educated twenty thousand one hundred and seventy six uneducated nine thousand six hundred and seventy one scotland 
educated, 3,985, uneducated, 911. In calculating a percentage on certain criminal returns during the undermentioned years, the results were 1839 Uneducated, 33.53 Imperfectly educated, 53.48 Well-educated, 10.07 Superior education, 0.32 Unascertained 2.60. Total 100%. 1840. Uneducated, 33.32. Imperfectly educated, 55.57. Well educated, 8.29. Superior education, 0.37. Unascertained, 2.45. Total 100%. 1841. Uneducated, 33.21. Imperfectly educated, 56.67. Well educated, 7.4. Superior education, 0.45. Unascertained, 2.27. Total 100%. 1842. Uneducated, 32.35. Imperfectly educated, 58.32. Well-educated, 6.77. Superior education, 0.22. Unascertained, 2.34. Total, 100%. 1843. Uneducated, 31. Imperfectly educated, 57.6. Well-educated, 8.02. Superior education, 0.47. Unascertained, 2.91. Total, 100%. 1844. Uneducated, 29.77. Imperfectly educated, 59.28. Well-educated, 8.12. Superior education, 0.42. Unascertained, 2.41. Total, 100%. 1845. Uneducated, 30.61. Imperfectly educated, 58.34. Well-educated, 8.38. Superior education, 0.37. Unascertained, 2.3. Total, 100%. 1846. Uneducated, 30.66. Imperfectly educated, 59.51. Well-educated, 7.71. Superior education, 0.34. Unascertained, 1.78. Total, 100%. This table, which on its face conclusively establishes an increase in criminals imperfectly educated, and a decrease both in those who could read and write well and those who could not read or write at all, may be, and has been made, the subject of much pseudo-philosophical remark, as proving the injury of education. In the first place, it only shows the effects of partial education, if it shows anything. 
but the misfortune of statistical results is that they are relied on too implicitly with a narrow-minded subservience to figures and facts whereas they require to be accompanied with explanatory circumstances which may either enhance their value up to the point of mathematical demonstration or may so pare them away as to render them perfectly worthless in the consideration of the above figures all that would seem to appear is that there was an increase of education keeping pace with the increase of population and that in the statistics of crime the increase of imperfectly educated people would be as perceptible as elsewhere mere reading and writing unaccompanied by moral elevation will not reform mankind alone they will not prevent a hungry man from satisfying his hunger the words of caesar apply to criminals equally as to conspirators let me have men about me that are fat sleek-headed men and such as sleep o nights yon cassius has a lean and hungry look pursuing this question and turning to the population tables of eighteen fifty one the period of the last census we find that middlesex was the most generally educated county taking the signature of the marriage register as the test of education eighty-two per cent signed the marriage register yet in the list of criminality middlesex stood third of all the counties of england gloucester which was first in crime was far from being the most ignorant there sixty-five per cent signed the register the general average of the whole population by the same list is forty per cent here again is a qualifying circumstance london is included in middlesex with its vast seething mass of human misery and corruption to swell the record of crime while its general population is of course about the most intelligent of the british empire so that in the same spot is found at once the greatest intelligence and the greatest misery we are not aware of such qualifying circumstances in gloucestershire dr ryan writing on this point refers to the metropolitan police report for eighteen thirty seven by which it appears that of prostitutes arrested in that year there could not read or write one thousand seven hundred and seventy three could read and write imperfectly one thousand two hundred and thirty seven could read and write well eighty nine had received a good education four total three thousand one hundred and three this is a tolerably fair criterion for although as before said the police only interfere with peacebreakers and all these came under the technical term of drunk and disorderly still we believe the state of prostitution in london to be such that an average proportion of all classes of courtesans pass through the hands of the police during the year mr tate speaking of edinburgh confirms the view put forward as to educational influences a large proportion of the edinburgh prostitutes eighty seven per cent read and write the scottish peasantry are perhaps the best educated in europe 
and those girls who come to edinburgh from the country are no exception to the rule the uneducated mr tate thinks are city girls as to the religious denomination of prostitutes for that a prostitute may have a religion we may say in the kindly spirit of corporal trim but doubtingly a negro has a soul your honour in edinburgh they include all sects except independents baptists and quakers there may be those who smile at the idea of a prostitute having any belief how many of us are there whose actions are accordant with our religious professions of london we have no data on this point illegitimate births seem by common consent of most writers to be classed with details of prostitution in france it is said by those who profess intimate local knowledge there is almost a prejudice against marriage although it can be performed as a legal ceremony we think bale st john states this fact in the poorer districts of london the east end for example it is notorious that numbers live in a state of concubinage again in the country and away from the dense population of towns a woman of immoral habits may often be found who has had two or three illegitimate children by different men with whom she has cohabited such a woman would most probably have been a prostitute in a town as it is she is no better still she is not a prostitute for hire but to proceed to details the number of illegitimate births in every thousand births in the various counties is as follows cumberland one hundred and eight norfolk one hundred and five hereford one hundred salop ninety nine nottingham ninety one cheshire eighty nine westmoreland eighty seven suffolk eighty one derby eighty one barks seventy nine leicester seventy nine north wales seventy eight south wales seventy two york seventy one stafford sixty nine sussex sixty eight cambridge sixty six lincoln sixty four middlesex forty cumberland is a pastoral and mountainous county with a thinly settled population norfolk is an agricultural and grazing county broken up into large farms neither county has many large towns stafford is a manufacturing county with a long list of thickly populated small towns in which as great indigence and misery can be found as in any part of england middlesex contains london here then we see at once that illegitimacy and prostitution are not the same thing where there are no prostitutes there are bastards but the women in the country are mostly employed they are obliged to work in the fields rough country labour or in some domestic manufacture such as button-making, stocking-making, etc. An apparent paradox may be here mentioned, although not intimately affecting these investigations. The preponderance of bastards is accompanied by a preponderance of early marriages. This has been accounted for by the theory that both are dependent on sexual instincts precociously or excessively stimulated, 
which seek marriage when practicable, or illicit intercourse where not. Illegitimacy is somewhat regulated by the disproportionate number of the sexes. In an excess of females, there are few bastards. In an excess of males, there are many. Upon this fact, unattended by qualifying circumstances, might be based an argument as to the innate sexual instinct in females. It might have been expected the relations would be somewhat different, namely, an increase of prostitution with an excess of men, but an increase of bastards with an excess of women. The number of rapes in England seems to be governed by the excess of men over women. Where the number of illegitimate children exceeds the average, rape is less frequent. The cases of abuse of children between the ages of ten and twelve are three in every ten million of the whole population. There is some difficulty in this matter, arising from a legal technicality on the subject of age. In any case, neither of the last items of criminality is of any value, inasmuch as they include only those cases judicially investigated and proved to conviction. Many are guilty, yet acquitted, and many more are never charged with the offence. Shame prevents parties prosecuting, or in the case of children, the fact does not transpire, or else it is compromised. End of section 33